This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The overheated world of wokeness threatens to burn itself out. Often, a light bulb that is about to expire gives a very brief moment of bright light before the darkness comes. Such an occasion may be an appropriate analogy for the woke movement. On one level, wokeness has never appeared stronger. On the other, there are signs that it is losing its potency to dictate the policies of the future. Mr. John Horvat examines signs in his essay, Is DEI Going to DIE? Since the Floyd riots of 2020, the left has promoted diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, programs as must-have credentials for woke corporations eager to show concern for so-called marginalized minorities. DEI is marketed as a way to address racial discrimination in the corporate world with affirmative action hiring practices. The programs also include LGBTQ identifiers, feminists, and any others claiming victimhood. Thus, DEI has been all the rage for the last few years as major companies scramble to employ DEI officers for their workforce and boards of directors. The rage is now over. DEI is still around, but it has lost its luster. When liberal programs lose their luster, it usually means it's time to move on to the next great acronym. Even the most woke corporations are abandoning the DEI ship in the face of growing disenchantment and backlash. Droves of DEI executives, once prized as oracles, find themselves unemployed and deplatformed. Everyone is playing the blame game. Corporate executives are expressing concern about the worth of agenda-driven programs with little to show for billions of dollars invested. On their part, ungrateful DEI directors are questioning corporate America's commitment to the cause in the first place. No one doubts that the honeymoon is over. The recent high-profile exits of several star diversity executives at Disney, Netflix, and Warner Brothers Discovery highlighted the DEI crisis. They either resigned or were let go. Since mid-2022, high-tech and larger corporate firms have laid off many DEI officers. Government agencies have likewise jumped on the anti-DEI bandwagon as they pivot to more colorblind alternatives that reward merit rather than identity. Martin Brown, Chief Diversity Officer for the Commonwealth of Virginia, opined, DEI is dead. The Inclusion Officer for Governor Glenn Youngkin made this statement in a recent speech to the Virginia Military Institute. There are three reasons why DEI might die. The first is that Americans are reevaluating the programs. As more challenging times hit corporate America, its leaders are taking a second look at inclusion initiatives. They are not finding the expected results. Thus, the process of reorganizing, rethinking, and restructuring 
has led to more DEI layoffs than in other fields. Both leaders and employees are also taking a harder look at the agenda behind the programs that go beyond the workings and needs of the average American corporation. It is easy to see how DEI melds well with critical race theory, CRT, gender ideology, pronoun tyranny, and all things woke. Many Americans generally resent the intense pressure used to force these programs on the population, schools, and business communities. The corrosive ideas tend to create and increase Marxist-style class struggle between imagined oppressors and oppressed. Others complain that DEI standards are subjective and arbitrary and do not translate into what is needed in their businesses and the nation. The second reason is a powerful backlash to the woke agenda everywhere that spills into the corporate world. Thus, DEI has entered into the thick of the culture war. This catchy little acronym makes a perfect target. Indeed, conservatives have denounced its ploy of creating conflict. They point out that CRT has nothing to do with ROI, return on investment. They have protested these issues, and their protests have worked. This discontent has translated into government action against DEI in many states, including Florida, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. Finally, the Supreme Court's decision to end affirmative action in college admissions has made DEI a target inside business. Executives, seeing the handwriting on the wall, perceive the flaws of DEI as similar to those of affirmative action. It is only a matter of time before someone challenges arbitrary hiring practices. Common sense executives want out of the business of social engineering in order to concentrate on ideology-free goods and services. Conservatives claim affirmative action has elevated victimhood over achievement. It sets in motion equality of outcome and not opportunity. Liberal insistence on quotas favors identity over merit. The court's decision allows America to return to merit as a key to increasing national prosperity. Indeed, a group of 13 state attorneys general issued a letter to Fortune 100 firms warning them against race-based prejudices in hiring, promotion, and contracting in light of the Supreme Court decision. Such controversy will have a major effect on the future of DEI. The DEI crisis signals a major failure of the left. It comes at a time when American universities are sending out a massive new crop of graduates with degrees catering to DEI employment. Unfortunately for them, many will find the field crowded by ex-diversity officers writing bitter op-eds about why corporate execs are pulling the plug on DEI. Thus, 
DEI might die, but it could also resurrect. A disgruntled left will have to find another way to repackage the same rejected ideology. Some DEI executives are already calling for dropping the toxic acronym, but not the agenda. Meanwhile, its unemployed executives might spend their time testing new names. Even though its practitioners call it progressive, wokeism and DEI are not new. They are based on errors that go back centuries, nor is it exclusive to the United States. In his essay, Where Are Wokeism and Cancel Culture Taking Us?, Italian historian and scholar Roberto de Mattei examines wider aspects of the movement. Since the days of the French Revolution, the left has sought the destruction of historical memory as part of its war unleashed against Christian civilization. Suffice it to recall the devastation of churches and monuments in France between 1789 and 1795. The desecration of the Basilica of Saint-Denis was much more expressive, where the tombs of French kings were opened and their mortal remains exhumed and scattered. All these acts had an evident symbolic meaning. Every trace of the past had to be physically erased in compliance with the decree of the Convention of August 1st, 1793. From that decree until the cancel culture and the woke ideology of our days, this damnatio memorare mentality dominates the history of the European left. Cancel culture erases memory to favor an ideological vision according to which the West has no universal values to propose to the world, but only past crimes for which to atone. The term woke is an English adjective that means to stay awake to any racial or social injustice inherited from the past that must then be purged. The left's utopia of the so-called new man presupposes making a clean slate of the past. Thus, the human species becomes formless raw material, that can then be remodeled or recast like soft wax. The next step for humanity is transhumanism, a regeneration of the species through science and technology. However, this destructive process has such an uncontrollable dynamism that it threatens to overwhelm the political left itself. Conchita de Gregorio, an Italian journalist from that leftward world, published an article in La Stampa on July 7th, recounting three significant episodes in France which aroused her alarm. The first episode says that, quote, In a famous dance school popular with families in the Marais, a stronghold of the progressive Parisian elites, the parents of the little dancers asked the head teacher not to allow instructors to indicate the correct movements of children and adolescents by touching them with their hands, but with a stick. Unquote. The reason is that any contact between bodies, including the hand that directs the torso or accompanies a step tried for the first time, could potentially be sexual harassment. 
The second episode happened at a theater class at the Higher Institute of Fine Arts in Paris. When taking a group photo, the teacher asks a girl to tie her hair in a ponytail, quote, Since the magnificent sumptuous afro extending horizontally completely covered the faces of her classmates to her right and left, unquote. The whole class rioted at the request, denouncing it as racist. The principal then forced the teacher to resign. The third episode involves a famous feminist who, quote, supports the freedom of Islamic women not to wear the veil, not just not wear, but to consider wearing and not wearing as equally free, unquote. Her leftist colleagues accused her of Islamophobia, being right-wing, having sold out. Because of the controversy, the feminists needed to have a bodyguard. Between feminism and Islamophilia, the left chooses Islamism because it is characterized by a greater hatred toward the West. A broader and more in-depth picture of what is happening in France is offered by a book just published by Avenir de la Culture, titled The Woke Revolution Arrives in France. The authors explain wokeism as an heir to the Soviet terror and great purges. It is a global ideology that wants to transform society into a vast re-education camp. The fanatics of this ideology affirm that French gastronomy is racist. Classical literature is sexist. A man can be pregnant. And the 4,600 municipalities named after saints must be renamed. They say Notre Dame Cathedral is a symbol of oppression and should be relabeled as Notre Dame of the Survivors of Pedocriminality. The French language should be deconstructed. Replacing, for example, the term homage, a feudal masculine term with femage. Instead of patrimonio, the word marriage should be used to avoid conceding even the slightest semantic advantage to machismo. Such affirmations are not the product of the madness, but the consistent consequences of a worldview that rejects the historical memory of the West and in particular, its Christian roots. Culture involves the exercise of man's spiritual and intellectual faculties. To develop a culture, society needs a memory that preserves and passes on what has already been produced in history. Memory is the awareness of a society's roots and the fruits these roots have produced. Quote, the fidelity of memory, observed the German philosopher Joseph Pieper, truly means that it keeps real things and events as they really are and have been. The falsification of memory, contrary to reality, brought about by the yes or no of the will, is the true and proper ruin of memory, since it contradicts its intimate nature which is that of containing the truth of real things, unquote. To impose a lie, destroy the truth contained in memory. For this reason, the erasure of memory, 
which contains the truth of history, is a crime against humanity. The woke revolution is an expression of this crime. Wokeism develops in the West to destroy the West. However, it has nothing to do with the history and identity of our civilization, since it is its radical antithesis. The detractors of the West who allow themselves to be seduced by formulas and schemes such as Islamic Arabia, Muscovite's Third Rome, or Chinese neo-communism embrace a suicidal itinerary. The woke ideology is the last stage of a disease that comes from afar and that cannot be cured by killing the patient. Wokeism and cancel culture are not the act of the death of the West, but the tumors found in an organism that was once healthy and which can still recover if there will be, as we hope, the radical intervention of the divine surgeon. The slow self-destruction of wokeism takes place on several different levels. As we just pointed out, some are on a worldwide perspective. Others are very local. Of course, the real drive to end wokeism must come from the actions of millions of individuals. One such action took place recently in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Every year, thousands gather to commemorate the anniversary of the great battle that occurred there between July 1st and 3rd, 1863. One of the many events transcends time itself. Mr. Michael Gorey briefly describes it in his essay, A period-correct mass at the 160th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg attracts a full tent. The resonant sound of a bugle captured my attention. Dressed in the woolen uniform of a Pennsylvania regiment, Roy Wolfe sounded the call to gather in a large field tent. Gentlemen in woolen 19th century uniforms and ladies in hoop skirts convened to commemorate the 160th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg by attending a traditional Latin Mass. Civil War reenactors and spectators assisted the ancient Catholic liturgy that, as the celebrant Father James Smith stated in his sermon, was the Mass offered at the time of the battle and can be traced back many centuries to the times of the Apostles. Accompanied by the singing of Gregorian chant hymns, the Mass reminded the crowd of over a hundred of a rare but increasingly popular spiritual and liturgical link with the Civil War and our spiritual and cultural heritage. Father Smith offered the Mass with all solemnity, as if he were in the magnificent neo-Gothic St. Lawrence Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where he serves as pastor. He used authentic red velvet and gold vestments from the Civil War period. Even the chalice he used was from the Civil War. Many curious tourists, mulling around to visit the various reenactor tents and venues, pause to take pictures, and soak in a little of the solemn atmosphere that radiated from the tent. During the reception of Holy Communion, a nearby artillery battery fired multiple cannon volleys, 
its booming providing a dramatic accompaniment to the chants of the choir. As Father Smith offered to speak with any attendees interested in knowing more about the Catholic faith, a sizable line formed to talk with him after Mass. The solemnity and reverence of the Mass clearly hit accord with the people. Speaking with Mr. Douglas Wolfe and his son Roy, the bugler who also helped sing the Gregorian chants, they glowed with enthusiasm. This is what we have been hoping and praying for, to have the Mass here. Unquote. This concludes The Overheated World of Wokeness Threatens to Burn Itself Out. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe to your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website www.returntoorder.org or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property. TFP.